So over the Easter season, we are, we are working our way through 1 John. It's all, the, all of the uh, epistle readings are coming from 1 John. And as we get into this today, I want you to kind of imagine John in his old age, writing this letter out to, uh, to um, the, uh, the church, to these people that he loves, that he cares about. As I said, he's old. He's the last living link back to Jesus. And he wants to communicate some, some very important things to his congregation. He, he wants to actually communicate them to us. And as I say that John does this, one, one of the things that's important to keep in mind is that the Holy Spirit moved John to write these things. It's not just that John decided, you know, hey, I should probably write a letter to some people. You know, sometimes we have to, we do that. I should write a letter to mom or whatever. You know, no, this was the Holy Spirit working through John so that what we're reading isn't just John's word. It's, it's God's word, you know, coming to us through John's pen. Now, as you imagine John writing, the, uh, the translation that I have here in front of you is, uh, is actually the King James, and, and they laid it out kind of funny where, you know, each verse just kind of became its own paragraph instead of trying to, to bring paragraphs together. But we can get the gist of what I, what I want you to see here. Do you think that when John wrote 1 John, he started out, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, and the word of life, two, for the life was manifested, we have seen it, so on, three. You get what I'm saying here? These numbers are not actually part of the text. When John sat down to write this, he wrote a letter. Much the same as you and I would. You know, and, and so these chapter numbers, these verse numbers, where do, they, where do they come from? Well, they actually come from the Middle Ages, you know, the 14, 1500s. People started realizing it's kind of hard to remember where some of these verses are. So how can we put some framework, some structure around the, the scripture so that we can remember what these passages say and where we can find them so that we can return to them over and over again? And so the system that we actually use, uh, it, it actually was created in 1557 by a guy by the name of William Whittingham. And uh, uh, it was adopted for the Geneva Bible in 1560. That was the first time that it was printed in an entire Bible. And it's pretty much been the gold standard for, um, for English speakers and it has become the standard for pretty much every Bible worldwide. You have this kind of organizational principle that, that goes around. So as we talk about chapter and verse, we are in 1 John, starting with, verse, with chapter 3, verse 16. Now, John wrote another book. It's called John. And if I said John 3.16, anything come to mind? Okay, so check this out. So here's John, 1 John. He's writing the letter now. This is later in his life. He says, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And we remember what he said earlier, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. One of the things that John is always concerned about, the 316 thing, totally a coincidence, okay? Maybe it's a God 
incidents, you know, God made it happen that way. But this is, this is, this is not like, you know, divine inspired stuff. But it, I think it's interesting. It really shows us that John is so concerned about us knowing about God's love. By this, we know love. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. And Jesus, out of love, laid down his life for us. That's really the starting point for all of this. As I've been talking about through this whole series so far. That the reason that we live this life, the reason that we want to please God, the reason that we want to live in a way that is godly, the reason that we love one another is because God has loved us. And he's just really driving home on that foundation. And then he goes on to say in this same verse that because we know love, because Jesus laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, who are the brothers? The brothers are our fellow Christians. It's our brothers and sisters in Christ. So because God has loved us, we're called to love one another. And I think that this is something important for us to think about. Because when we think about loving one another and coming to church, God has put us into fellowship with one another. And remember what I said a couple weeks ago, fellowship is not coffee and cookies. Fellowship, it's belonging to one another. It is God looking at us and saying, you are my children, you belong to me. And us recognizing back and forth, we belong to one another. Why? Because of God's love. Because his love unites us as a congregation. And not just as a congregation, but with all Christians worldwide. But I think that it's one thing to say, I love all Christians. I love all my brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's another thing to say, I love the Christians in my congregation who sit in the same pew as me. Sometimes it's really easy to love the Christians in China because I've never met them. That is kind of funny. (laughs) At least I thought so. And, And I need to clarify a little bit here because John is talking about the life of the church. He's talking about loving one another in the church. Are there other places where Jesus talks about loving our enemies? Okay, you shall be doing this. Yeah, Jesus definitely teaches us to love our enemies. That's just not what John's talking about here. It's not that he's disagreeing with that by any stretch of the imagination. But you got to imagine John like grandpa talking to his family. And he's giving these instructions. He's passing on these important things to his family to say, this is how we live together. These are the things that are important in our family. These are the things that matter. That we live in this love together. And so he continues in the letter. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, still talking about in the congregation here, and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? In other words, you know, when we come together in worship and we see somebody who's in pain, somebody who's in need, and we just turn our backs on them, is that love? No. 
says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. One of the things John is really clear about is that love leads to action. Love isn't just a sentimentality. It actually leads us to do something, to do good for others. And as he was saying here, to refuse action is to close our hearts. Not just to some random person, but to your brother or sister in Christ. To somebody that you are connected to. Somebody who belongs to God and somebody that belongs with you. And he's saying, this is a serious matter. And he says that we want to love one another, not just with word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, sometimes, you know, we we talk about loving our neighbor. You know, yeah, I love my neighbor. Do you know his name? No, but I don't hate him. Great. They're probably right in line to get into the kingdom of God on that one, aren't they? You know, do you love the people in the pew with you? You know, oh, I love all the people at church, except for that one that always does that one thing that really annoys me. And I think a lot of times, it's not just a matter of like having like a negative feeling about somebody else. It's it's not even knowing, not even caring. That sometimes we come to the church with this attitude that this is for me. And this is me and Jesus. And that's what matters. Or maybe me and my family and Jesus. But that's not how God situates us. He situates us to love one another. He connects us to one another. This, frankly, is one of the reasons I think that Christ care is such an important ministry in our congregation. Because some of what I'm talking about is a little bit difficult on Sunday morning to know everybody or, or to have the time to you know, rub shoulders with everybody and, and really kind of get to know them and know what's going on in their lives. But those smaller group settings, you have that opportunity to stand with your brothers and sisters in Christ and to care about each other, to do good to each other. And then sometimes that group becomes the advocate when we're hurting to call the rest of the body to do good for those people that we love within the congregation. John continues, he says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him, before God, uh, that for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Truth and love go hand in hand. You know, this, this love thing, it's not just, you know, I, I feel nice things about people. It also leads us to speak the truth to one another. And sometimes that means confronting one another in our sins and calling people to repentance. But I think it's important that as we think about, you know, being of the truth and, and love, that God says that he is love. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, these are things that deal with God's nature and his character. And as his children, these are things that become part of us. That as he adopts us into his family, we become people of truth and people 
of love, to share the hope that's within us. And that love becomes a reassurance for us. That as we stand before God, we stand as his beloved children. A reassurance is not our actions. It's not, you know, I did this at church and I helped with that and I gave this. No, it's not about our performance. It's about his attitude toward us. It's about his love for us. You know, it says that God knows everything. That's not always a comforting thought, is it? He knows everything in our hearts and in our minds, and that includes our weaknesses, and it includes our failures. And so he knows that we've heard him say, love one another, do this in deed and in truth. Has anybody ever done something kind to somebody because they knew it was the right thing to do, and they did because, well, I didn't want to, but I did it because it was the right thing to do? Okay, just me again. I'm the worst person in this church. Yeah. He knows. He knows when our motivations are not pure, when they're not true, when they're not love. And so we're going to bump into that type of a thing, and we're going to fail, and our consciences are going to accuse us. Except that God speaks into that, and he speaks the cross. And forgiveness. And we find that God is greater than our consciences. That despite what we see in ourselves, his message of love and forgiveness overwhelms that evidence that our eyes gives us. So our heart does not condemn us when we rest in Jesus' love. Not in ourselves, but in his love. And that's our confidence. That he has loved us. And when we live in that confidence, we, we ask for whatever, and God's going to give it. And I, I, I think that can be a little bit of a loaded statement for us sometimes, because what are we going to ask for if we're rooted in God's love? Well, I think that when we're rooted in God's love, we're going to ask to be able to love God the same way that he's loved us. That we're going to be able to be changed by that love the same way that John was changed by that love. That we're going to Learn how to love others and to do good for them, to act in deed and in truth. In other words, that we'll begin to keep the commandments. Because when we start thinking about what does love look like, God has actually given us a picture of that. Not just in Jesus, which is a fantastic picture, but ethically speaking, in the Ten Commandments, This is a picture of love. Remember, Jesus says, how do you sum up the commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love keeps the commandments. And and so he brings us back into this relationship of the commandments. And then he goes from commandments, plural, to commandment, singular. And he says, this is God's commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. How many commands are there? It kind of looks like two, but it's one. That we believe in the name of Jesus, that is to rest in God's love. And then to love one another. And why do we love one another? 
because he has loved us. It's just the continuation of his love at work in us. So we believe in the name of Jesus and we love one another just as he has commanded us. And this isn't some onerous, you know, do this. It is his love at work in us to shape us and to transform us. And and this is the command to receive the love that moves us to love. To rest in the love that causes us to love. And then to do good for others. Starting right here at home. But then also out into the world. To do good Deeds of truth and love and mercy. And he says, whoever keeps this commandment, keeps his commandments, abides in God and God in him. And it's really important for us to abide, to rest, to remain, to stay connected to God. You know, this isn't one of these things where, you know, you were baptized when you were a baby and that's it. You need to stay connected to God where he loves you so that you love him. And and his love continues to empower you to love. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit given to us. You know, I think sometimes we think of God as kind of distant. He's not. He's given us his spirit. Each of you who was baptized has the spirit of God in you. Whoever has faith in Jesus has the spirit of God in them. God is near. And the Spirit is at work in you to love you so that you can receive God's love and to empower you to love God and to love your neighbors. And that love lifts us beyond our sense of self to care primarily about me than to begin to care about others. Care about those people, to love the people sitting in the pew with you your brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, driving down the freeway with you. You know the guy that cut you off with the Jesus fish on his car? (laughs) Your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ. So that we do good to those who do not yet know that love. That they would experience the love of Jesus in their lives. That they would be loved and come to love. Amen.